Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome to org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology nutrition professor, and I'm a bodybuilder. Hey, people. Rob Fortress Fortney here, uh, journalist, editor, former editor at Muscle Man International, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach and powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. And today, um, got some news, a bit of news. Uh, the bar we gave away last week, it was a PowerMax 1,500-pound rated bar. Um well, I talked to the guys over there at PowerMax, and they want to extend a kind of a gift certificate, I guess you'd call it, Sweet. to uh, Iron Radio listeners. So what they're, a promotion, um, what they're going to do is give for the month of, well, for one month starting now, um, well, actually starting the 17th, it's going to be 15% off the purchase of the same bar. So, um, it's, the code is capitals I R W P as an Iron Radio winner promotion 2012. Yeah. I W I R W P 2012, um, gets you 15% off. So. Yeah, that's significant. Sweet. From January 17th to February 18th. Iron Radio, man. The home for the, the hookups. There you go. So I'll, I'll right. post that on the Facebook page here in a little bit and I just want to thank Carl Geisler over there at PowerMax. Um, that's just it's something great to do. I mean, like I was telling people, I kind of gave a teaser on Facebook about this. We don't get anything out of this. It's not like we're getting a cut of this or anything. It's just something they're giving to you guys. So, um, which I thought was pretty cool. So it is cool. You know, one of the guests that we had months ago, he said, "You guys are super connectors." I forget who it was. A real animated guy, um, but. Yeah, I think sometimes people are surprised that wait, you do this for free. I mean, you know, some of the stuff that you get charged for by gurus in the industry is not as good as what we do for free. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess in a way that you know that keeps us uh, keeps us legit. So exactly. Um, and then our topic today is going to be we, we got a letter from Brian Lutter. Um, excuse me if I'm I'm butchering that last name, but L U T T E R. Um, he talked with you, Lonnie, at the NSCA Coaches Conference in San Antonio. Right. Shout out he, to him. He writes, uh, I'm an avid listener of Iron Radio and had a show topic idea. I'm a high school strength coach and would love to hear Fortress Phil and you discuss working with young and beginner lifters. As a high school coach, I work with many novice lifters and would enjoy hearing some of your common errors that you all have experienced working with this population and some of the ways to correct them. Uh, thanks again for your presentation and for Iron Radio. Take care, Brian. Well, Brian, we're going to make you uh, or your topic the topic of the day. That's a good one. I mean, frankly, yeah. it's a good one. We got to go with it. So <laughs> we're going to postpone some of the other topics and go with that one. Um, before we get to that, I, I have a little bit of news here. Strength and muscle sport news. One of the things I wanted to do, actually, there's some industry news and some science news. This first one is something that I've been meaning to talk about for a while, but. Um, Mike Nelson sent me this. He's usually a great source of sort of scouring the uh, National Library of Medicine for uh, abstracts. And this is uh, an abstract on uh, geranamine, uh, which is a popular stimulant. It's getting more and more popular. And I'll admit, I haven't tried it, but I've heard some uh, bodybuilders, even, uh, you know, quote, unquote, natural bodybuilders using this stuff heavily and saying it's very ephedrine-like in its efficacy. But I'm just going to do this very quickly. This is by Bloomer and colleagues. This is a uh, geranamine uh, in caffeine alone or in combination. And basically, they're looking at heart rate and blood pressure in healthy men. This is Physician Sports Med, uh, October 2011. So it's still quite new. Um, it says, the use of geranamine alone or in combination with caffeine is becoming widespread within the dietary supplement industry. To our knowledge, no data are available concerning the effects, however, on heart rate, etc., of course, blood pressure and heart rate is going to be an issue with the stimulant type things. Uh, cutting to the chase at the bottom, uh, plasma norepinephrine and, and epinephrine were relatively unaffected by treatment. 
again, that's one of the things you might think, right, that some of these stimulant uh, herbs are going to jack up adrenaline, right, epinephrine. Uh, conclusion, we report for the first time that acute ingestion of uh, this substance alone or in combination with caffeine results in an increase in systolic and diastolic blood pressure without an increase in heart rate. Uh, the largest increase is observed at 60 minutes post-ingestion of, it looks like, uh, caffeine plus uh, 75 milligrams of dranamine. These changes cannot be explained by just circulating norepi or epinephrine. So, unfortunately, in a way, if this is highly effective, because let's face it, I mean, there's safety and efficacy issues with any uh, supplement, especially stimulants, and uh, ephedra and ephedrine had pretty clear efficacy. I mean, it was appetite suppressant. It, it increased metabolic rate. It almost certainly increased, you know, uh, uh, psychological, you know, uh, performance in a way in the gym or physical performance in the gym. But uh, so, yeah, they're giving like combinations of basically a little bit more than one Vibrin with like 50 or 75 milligrams of Dranamine. So, Phil, have you heard of anybody using Dranamine? Did I lose Sorry, you? Sorry. Um... Uh, jeez, sorry about that. Jeez. He's um, snoozing. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, no, but I mean, I do believe this is the stuff that's been on the news lately with, um, uh, like the military pulled it out of all their, their, uh, supply stores and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Because they had a couple people drop from it, um, in the field. Um, what, what's the other name? It goes under another name. The, the, you know, when people make the proprietary blends, they give things a name that you can't. Um, I can't remember. That, that's the only thing I've heard of. But yeah, I mean, I've used some products with it in, in there. And, well, it's uh, it's also one three dimethylamylamine. Yes. Okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um. Yeah. So that'd be it. Um. I don't know. I mean, I've used stuff, and I I uh, I like it because it didn't give me. I'm not a big ephedrine fan. It, it made me really shaky, mm-hmm. and this didn't seem to make me shaky because um, I'm normally pretty up anyways. So if I if I'm trying to like do a 700 pound deadlift, I'm shaky and my heart beats going crazy. It, it just didn't help me at all. Well, if anything, but, this abstract makes me think that it probably it may in fact have that kind of uh, efficacy that ephedrine once had or ephedra. Uh, and again, safety and efficacy are two different things. But w- w- ephedra, ephedra or ephedrine was a presser agent, right? It was literally meant to increase blood pressure in medical settings. And that, here, this shows this stuff doing something very similar. So if they have similar effects on blood pressure, uh, you know, it may be that they have similar effects on, you know, mood or decrease in perceived yeah. exertion or whatever. I was just curious about it because I've been hearing about this. In fact, we've had a couple of natural bodybuilders on the show before who were talking about it, gosh, a year and a half ago. And, you know, just because I had never uh, really looked for it on the shelf or tried it, this is the first science I've seen on it. So unfortunately, this just looks like safety stuff. It'd be interesting to see if it had any effect on you know, rate of force development or some kind of muscle explosiveness or something. Uh, but anyway, yeah. so a little bit of stuff from there on uh, on Duranamine. The, the other news I had, let's see here, was last weekend, uh, like that email from Brian there, I was down in San Antonio at the NSCA Coaches Conference, and there was some pretty cool stuff there. It was, it was fun to go to a coaches meeting. Uh, they purposely said keep the science sort of light, you know, so we did because we just gave a basic nutrition talk, try to cover the bases there. I mean, giving a talk on sports nutrition is actually quite hard because it's, it's such a broad topic. That'd be like going to one of you guys and saying, I'd like a talk on resistance training. <laughs> I mean, where do you begin, yeah. you know? But um, I picked up some good stuff. There was an Olympic uh, lifting uh, lecture there. And uh, the guy said some stuff that really was, was sort of forehead-smacking sort of duh to me, you know, against myself. Like, oh, I never really thought about that. Like, I know, Rob, you've talked about, in fact, it's in our intro, about how excruciating a hook grip is with heavy uh, deadlifts. Now, he's talking about using it with Olympic lifts, but uh, what, what, he, what he said that was sort of a duh moment for me was, you have to progress. He's like, this is going to hurt. So start with lower weights, even if it's 135 on the bar, you know, or 225. Because when I've tried hook grip too, I have, I have short fingers and it hurts like hell, you know, and duh, of course you don't just start deadlifting with your you know, fairly heavy training poundages. If it's something that new, you know, give your, your thumb a chance, not just to callus, but maybe some of the internal soft tissues or even the bone, you know, to, uh, 
strengthen as you go. You don't just start doing that out of the blue. So I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's an idea. Actually progress in your ability to do that, just like you would progress with muscle strength or hypertrophy, you know, just, duh, I don't know. Good advice. Good advice. And the other thing he was talking about was basically just doing, uh, you know, when you're talking about lifting weights from the floor, just moving them from like mid-shin to just above the thigh. You know, back to mid-shin to just above the thigh. Just basically working on getting your knees back and out of the way, you know, as opposed to trying to, you know, swing the bar forward in some way or make some common, you know, mistake there. Um, but I thought that was kind of neat too. So I've actually thought about that too. I ha- I've never actually tried deadlifting, uh, for example, in segments, you know, like just from mid thigh to straight up or just from below the knee to just above the knee, you know, basically like one thirds of the movement. Well, basically a Romanian no. deadlift is similar to that. I've just never really you know, work yeah. segments of it like that. I just, I, I, I'm I like, that's to, a good idea, too. I don't know. I, I tend to think that's becoming more of a trend, actually, what you're saying mm-hmm. about making, I don't know if Phil just nodded there or not, but the, making in segments the whole, you know, breaking up the whole stroke of a, of a you know, a traditional deadlift because, I mean, in my gym, um, I've actually seen a few people do that. Now, their application and, and for where they are in their training is completely ridiculous, but... I've seen it and done. I'm just like, you know, these these people are. Let's just say that they're not very, uh, you know, experienced and don't have a lot of knowledge about what they're doing. So I'm I'm wondering if maybe it's these kind of things are floating around lately as a trend on the internet or something. You know, if these guys are picking it off the internet. Well, this yeah, guy was an experienced are. Olympic lifting coach, but yeah. it's true. It's like science often is. It's reductionist. You know, mm-hmm. that is what's true of the parts is true of the whole. And that may or may not be correct. But for someone like me who's a noob with the deadlift, I, I think at least here and there it could be something that I can play with just to, like I said, uh, work on getting the knees back and out of the way at a certain point or, you know what I mean, uh, I, focusing it, on certain things. And that's very, very usual in Olympic lifting um, because there's there's kind of three separate poles to the lift. Um and it's it's become pretty popular lately with that the Chico training probably about two years ago, and they do lifts from the floor to the knee, and then you know mid mid shin to mid thigh and stuff Love like it. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's really applicable in in the Olympic lifts because it's such a different pull than a deadlift. Um, you do you're looking to get the knees way back out of the way, get your hamstrings wound up tight because you're looking to be strong at the knees. Um, I can see it a little problematic in a deadlift, but. Um, mm-hmm. It's, that's why I won't teach like a deadlift and a clean on the same day because they're 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 similar but totally different. Yeah. Um, I also. But yeah, I mean it's. I, I also kind of sometimes wonder like I mean again there's application for all this stuff and I certainly have no issue with with what we're specifically talking about here. My problem is again, it seems like again in reference to the people that I'm speaking of that I saw at my own gym a couple of days ago doing this, you, you know it's like it's like these people who are. They have no idea why they're doing it. They just read it somewhere. Yeah. And in the process of doing this, it's like they're nowhere in their training and personal ability for performance where they, they should ever be like, you know, like a breaking up things into such small compartmentalized yeah. pieces. Yeah. You know, it's almost like they're trying to make things complicated just for the sake of being complicated because it makes them yeah. think that they're, you know, they're, you know, they're doing something that's highly advanced. And it's just, yeah. and again, that's why I always tell people in the gym, it's like, you know, there's a difference between doing something just because you saw it somewhere or you came up with it and you really have no idea what they, what really yeah. it's, 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 you know, full positive effects are and doing something by design, you know, like the guys well, who've seen the, in the bench. Well, honestly, this feeds right into the topic of the day, really. But, yeah, it really does. And I'll tell you what, you guys, I was really bastardizing some of what he was saying, thinking, you know, this might be a break instead of. Uh, just pulling the weight off the floor every week, yeah. you know, yeah. something to just to kind of think about and toy with, you know, those kinds of things. But, you know, for that reason, I, I mean, I, I may just do low rack pulls or something, you know, or or whatever. Uh, anyway, so that was one thing that I thought was, was sort of interesting. It was just interesting to see this stuff broken down, you know, to such an extent. But there was some other cool talks there in San Antonio as well. There was a leadership talk, which I think was quite good. Might try to get that guy on the on the show. He's kind of a motivational guy, really sort of more, uh, you know, um, philosophy and team leadership and all that kind of stuff. But 
there was a talk on overtraining by uh, a Dr. Sands, and um, he was sort of emphasizing, I think, uh, what a lot of people uh, understand at this point, which is overtraining is a vague collection of symptoms. I mean, that's what syndromes are. You know, symptom, they're collections of signs and symptoms. Uh, but he was talking about that and how one of the, the most interesting things he said, I believe, was he was saying nowadays people are pushed to compete several times a year and how performances, elite performances in certain sports, he was giving examples, are actually poorer than they were 10 or 15 years ago. We've talked before on this podcast about progression, you know, strength and the evolution of strength, performance and that kind of thing. And he wasn't just talking about purely strength, but I do think it's interesting that he was showing that, you know, back in the day when people peaked one major event a year or maybe twice, you know, that seemed to be when we were getting the best performances. But when you try to peak six times a year, performances actually started to suck. Yeah, you know, and uh, because you just can't peak that often, and Which I thought is that interesting was because in, in bodybuilding specifically, I mean, they, you always hear the, the top guys, pros, and all that talking about, well, I've already done too many shows, so I'm gonna, you know, just save all this next year just for the, you know, for instance, the Mr. Olympia competition, right? But and that also doesn't seem to work as well in bodybuilding. I mean, you got to find that fine line because yeah, you get burnt out if these guys are doing too many shows. But then you get the other guys, like I say, who are saying, you know, I'm just focusing on the Arnold Classic for this next year, and they show up looking worse. So there really is, as with everything we always talk about, there's, there's balance with everything, and you got to find what that is. So what um, really struck me was Rob. You remember Milo Sarchev, of course. Of course, he was yeah. known for just constantly competing. Sure. You know. And, oh yeah, uh, I think I think he holds one of the records actually in the IFBB for like most. Competed in pro shows or something like that. So yeah, but I've got to I've got to think. Yeah, it it would in fact do what Doctor Sands was saying and you know hurt overall peak performance yeah. when you try to you know constantly because how do you periodize something like that? You know what I mean? You're you're shortening your macro cycle or affecting your macro cycle into these tiny meso cycles. I don't know. Things just start to get sort of crazy when you try to calculate out your poundages or your you know gains in bodybuilding or whatever. So right. Well, again, um, like I say, you got to find that middle ground between, you know, um, allowing too much rust to build up, and on the other side of the coin, like you say, just you know, burning yourself right the hell out. So, or not allow yeah. because you're competing so much, like you say, your 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 allowances between the you know the the rest allowances and periodization allowances between the, the competitions, the meets, the sporting events, whatever they are, you be, become yeah, you're just like constantly frantically trying to figure, you know, recalculate how you're gonna, you know, show up to the next, um, you know, uh, experience, voting experience being somewhat better. I mean, because you know, no, I mean, it, what's the point of competing ten times a year if you you just, you know, you're holding steady at every one. I mean, yeah, he was also showing that after the season, in several different sports people actually perform better when they're tested, you know, because coaches sometimes, especially team coaches, when the team, as they approach their championship, they actually increase the intensity and volume instead of tapering. Yeah. Oh, duh, you know, and then how, you know, you can see after they've had a week or two or three off at the end of the season, they actually are better just because, you know, they refuel their glycogen, their nervous system can rest and reset. I mean, all those sorts of things. But. Right. No, that's the same topic that comes up when people talk about Paul Anderson and stuff. They, they said he never reached his best in his prime because he was always, he was doing those road shows and crap where he, four or five times a week, he's out there squatting huge numbers and he just never had, mm-hmm. never was able to recover, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, and progress to his fullest. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's, uh, that's, that's a hard one to choose. I mean, I think early on, I love to see people just get out there and compete and compete a lot and then, then start backing off and, uh, targeting it for for more uh yeah i think we're all fans even though i don't compete often i'm more along the lines of the once a year guy sometimes i'll even go two years but like rob said you're running that risk of rust gathering you know yeah and you don't want that to happen either but i also think it has a lot to do with uh if you're a mesomorph or endomorph like i'm very ectomorphic and if i were to try at least as a kid i was and if i were to try to compete often i think i would just i'd i'd just fall apart i really do but and again, it's sport, maybe sport specific as well. Yeah. yeah, because you know what? Even just yesterday, I was reading this thing about um, you know the, uh, an average day in the life of a you know on season professional hockey player in the NHL. They was talking about how they, you know, they wake up and they 
go into a morning practice on the day of a game. And, you know, from my vantage point, I'm thinking, well, that's, you know, like, at, at what point are you achieving anything on the day of a game going out and, you know, burning energy doing a practice, you know, the morning of? Yeah. But again, I, I fully concede that I'm not a hockey player. I'm, I, I don't know about, I have no expertise on how they, you know, they manage their fitness training versus their, you know, skill technique training versus their, I don't know. It just, to me, it struck me as being like, wow, that, that seems odd to me. However, like you say, it's specificity. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure that people, you know, in, in the NHL have an idea of what the heck they're doing. So. Right. Well, that's, that's what I've got on the NSCA Coaches Conference. I think if people were to go to uh, nscalift.org, I think is their website, you could probably get some of those PowerPoints and stuff. It was pretty cool stuff, uh, very practical. You know, Obviously, there, there wasn't a lot of nutrition. I think ours was the single exemplar of a, a nutrition talk. Um, it was obviously mostly um, technique and coaching and team leadership and those sorts of things, but pretty cool. Um, my last bit of advice uh, before I want to talk training just a little is, um, or a bit of news here, is I want to say thanks. We have some new supporting members, Kale Schultz and Andrew Zook. Thank you guys uh, for stepping up to support us. Uh, we're very, very close to having enough supporting members now to uh, you know, continuously advertise in a targeted way online. And once we do that, it's just going to be the cycle of dominance that Fortress talks about, so I'm excited. Slowly taking over the world. Slowly, indeed. Uh, And the other just final thing here is quote contest people, and I know we've already had the um, holiday picture contest since then, but you should have your stuff by now. If you can get on the Iron Radio uh, listeners page on Facebook, that would be uh, appreciated to say, yeah, I got my stuff, cool. Um, So you should have some goodies there in that contest. And then, Phil, I don't know when they're going to send the bar out for the uh, the graphic design they, they contest. They should have. Oh, oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. So we should have some happy listeners. Not yeah. only are we getting discounts, uh, largely thanks to Phil, uh, but also uh, throwing out goodies in every direction. So yeah, there you go. cool stuff. Uh, Rob, I just wanted to touch, before we go to break, with you. Um, you've been kicking ass in the squat, bro. Trying. Yeah, I... Uh... As most of our listeners know, because last week I said it at the beginning of the episode, I was I was pretty sick all last week and I missed the whole week of training. So, which at the beginning of the week didn't seem to bother me too much, but by the end of the week I was thinking this is starting to get a little bit scary because I was thinking I was starting to think I was going to miss, you know, like this week essentially was my last week of training, you know, because my meet is the weekend after the one coming up here. So, um, so thankfully I was able to get my last heavy bench in Tuesday and then my last heavy squat in yesterday, and. uh it went really well. I went up to, I think, 390 for 202 on bench on Tuesday, and then I went up to, uh, I hit a double with 660 on the squat yesterday. So. Boom. And, and that, again, that was after two, I mean, when you factor it in, that was actually because of the week off, because of the cold, that was actually two weeks off from bench and squat. So, um, and of course, you know, fighting a cold always kind of wears you out a little bit. So, I don't think I was in the last couple of days, I don't think I was at 100%. I was thinking I was probably running in like the low 90s. You know, like, I mean, I was, yeah. I'm all well, but, you know, like I say, as far as just recuperating the, you know, the consumption of energy that I'm sure, you know, is, is, is done when you fight a cold, so. Right. So social contract time in front of, uh, 9,000 people. Oh, what, do, okay. what are you going to go for at the meet? Well, again, just to our listeners, I was discussing this on the phone yesterday with Lonnie. Um, I, I of course, want to qualify for nationals, so, which I already did actually. I actually have a qualifying total from the Niagara Open that I did there in October, but, um, I think technically you have to go through the provincials anyway, so I have to requalify. But um, what I'm going to try and do is just, you know, just try and within the first one or two, um, you know, try and get my qualifying number, and then just, you know, then just kind of go for broke <laughs> on the last, you know, the last, the second attempt, or certainly third attempt. So um, again, I'll say what I said there a couple months ago. I'd like to, I'd like to officially get a 700 squad. I'd like to. Hit that 425 bench, and I'd like to do a you know 700 deadlift. So now yeah. that's not what you need to qualify, though. You, no, your, because your, your first attempt is going to be less than that. Yeah, I think my I think for my weight class, my for the nationals qualifying, it's, I, I think it's something like 1620 or 1640 or something like that for a total mm-hmm. to qualify for nationals. And you know, like when I did the Niagara Open there, I hit a I was just over a 1700 um, pretty easily. So. Um, so yeah, so I'll just try and secure that and have some fun with that. So, you know, and, and again, it's, it's kind of, you know, there's a psychological advantage, you know, 
thing here going on because you know to, when you're hitting that next threshold, you know what I mean. And I've you know like 700 pounds, and I'm like I mean, I'm sure Phil can talk about that when he hit his first 700 deadlift kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, that's 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 what's planning to happen. So right. So I was you're actually probably open with something like 400 bench, 600 squat, 650 pull. Roughly. I was thinking, I was thinking probably just a like a, a six squat. Um, yeah, probably just like a 400 bench or 375, 400 bench, and then maybe open with like a six, 650 deadlift, something like that. I'll probably just, you know, play it by ear and kind of, but I mean, those would be the numbers I'm kind of like to have in my mind. What do you guys think? What do you think, Phil? Should I do, should I do a, like a 45, 50% workout on Sunday, maybe a, one week before? Yeah, if you're going to do anything, yeah, go light, move around a bit. And at the meet, I, I got, I think what you should do personally on your deadlift, is go like six, and then go for your seven on your second, and then call a thousand twenty for your third. <laughs> so you can be you can you'll be officially the first person to attempt a new world record. Yeah, you see the thing. The th- exactly. Now the <laughs> thing is, I will be standing up. The problem is, yeah. my arms will still be attached to the bar on the floor. Now just give it one good hug. <laughs> so I'll, just, I'll just be standing up right now. Hug and you you attempted it. You know, just just tug on a little bit and then go oh and grab your hamstrings. And I had it. I know I did. <laughs> That, you know. I almost yeah. I had you on the floor yeah. holding your right yeah. hamstring. You're like, I, I think I almost had it. I cramped up. Damn it. Oh. I, I would have that, had that's, it. A, that's a shady way to get in the record books, Phil. Yeah, yeah, he attempted it. <laughs> actually, I've never heard that before. That's actually really funny. Yeah. yeah. yeah Rob be... Fortress Fortney, first attempt at that weight. <laughs> yep, exactly. I unfortunately pulled a hamstring, so we don't know. Yep. Right. Says he could have done. Yeah, it makes it sound like you're close. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Good stuff. Okay. Well, anyway, I think we should probably go to break then. And when we come back, we're going to talk about um, sort of uh, novice mistakes, or as you guys say up in Canada, novice. Don't you use the long O for everything up there? Novice mistakes. Novice uh, motion. When somebody begins lifting. So we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Welcome back, listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry and Phil Stevens and Rob Fortney. And today's topic is a, a listener topic from uh, Brian, who I spoke with down in San Antonio recently. And um, that's basically uh, novice lifter mistakes. Uh, not necessarily just novice, but maybe even intermediate level types of mistakes. And, um, you know, I, I'm going to start off with something that's a very general training one, and then I'm sure we can discuss individual movement technique as well and things like that. But one of the things that I notice that novice lifters tend to do is what I'll just call too much too soon. Um, I think they they get involved, uh, they get excited, they enter the gym five, six days a week. And I, this happened to me when I started bodybuilding. I was actually doing other sports at the same time. And I think this is going to do a couple of things. One, um, because they don't either have the plan in place you know, or the maturity for, you know, to try to purposely delay that gratification a little. They go in too often, and one, 
they create a negative energy balance. You know, it's it's working hard, great, but not working smart. And when you're spending two and three hours in the gym, six days a week, it's going to be very hard for you to get in a positive energy balance to eat enough calories and actually knit together all that extra muscle mass. We've ta- talked about this a little bit before, but you need like 2,800 surplus calories to knit together a pound of muscle tissue. And it's going to be really hard to get that when you're training your butt off for three hours of constant bodybuilding style training. And I think the other problem by doing that too much too soon is burnout. Uh, maybe you've got a training partner that could help. The social aspect can be big. But if there's a middle-aged guy out there who's, you know, just started, uh, looking at muscle magazines or something like that, you're going to run the real risk if you follow those uh, unrealistic routines of burnout or just going in the frequency you know, of going in too many times a week of burnout. So try to get yourself a plan in place that's got a real realistic number of days a week. Three or four should be plenty as you're starting out, and Absolutely. that's going to give you a chance to eat enough to actually build some mass. So again, that's a general training, uh, you know, faux pas that a lot of a lot of young guys make, or even you know any new guy would make. Uh, and sometimes people carry that right into their their intermediate years, and it keeps them from ever becoming more advanced. Uh, but anyway, that's just yeah. one. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a it's kind of a dangerous kind of what you're speaking of to me is a kind of a, a dangerous thing to kind of become a prisoner to, and that's what a lot of guys like you Sue, say. say do become prisoner to like what you're saying about moving into the intermediate years and advanced years. Some guys just, you know, that they form this kind of addiction to training a certain way, and this is the only way it is, and this is how it was from day one. So they kind of get into this. They become a prisoner of their own kind of ideology about how they should be training, and that's how they should be training. So yeah, you know, there's there's really nowhere else to go for them because it's like, you know, it's the whole the whole concept of not training five or six days a week is so. You know, and I mean, you see these guys all the time. You know, how long have you been training? The guy's been training for twelve years, right? He's, exactly. you know, you've, you see him training for the last six years, and and you know, he hasn't put a pound of muscle on. He does. He's no leaner. He's no stronger. So, well, case in point, the gym owner of a gym that I used to train at, um, you know, hundred and sixty pounds, looked in great shape. He was always lean. He was always, you know, mildly muscular. But as the years went by, I just got bigger and bigger. And then by the time I think I was thirty-ish. I thought, my God, I'm 50 pounds heavier than you are, dude. You know, still looked good, but he was never going to be more than sort of, um, you know, uh, athletic looking. Now, if some people want that, that's great. You know, this guy trained his butt off. He ate very clean, cleanly, but yeah, he was, I, he was never going to sort of graduate to an advanced stage as far as, uh, bodybuilding or powerlifting or something like that because frankly, he was small. Yeah, and you know, I think that also the danger to that, and I can think of a very specific case in my own case that of, of somebody I know in the the area where I live who's fits the mold of what I'm about to say. Um, you, it's one of those things where people, like you say, it's like, well, well, you you can always use this excuse. Well, I, I'm not trained to become you know bigger. I'm not trained to become a professional lifter. I just want to stay healthy, and that that okay. And you can say, well, okay, that that makes sense, and that's fair enough. The problem with that. And again, inherently, there's really not a problem with it, but there is in the long term. And what it is, is this. If you're just train, trying to maintain health, be healthy, be physically fit, at some point, if you're just training like that with no kind of like, you know, markers of improvement in any kind of, eventually, age is going to catch up. And what you do to maintain or what you do have done always to maintain where you kind of are, even that will start failing you. And you're start, just going to start going in reverse. I think the best way to combat, or, or to rather to push back as far as possible that moment when you actually do start declining in strength, size, whatever it is, is to always be pushing forward to get better. You know what I'm saying? It's, a, it's, a, it's like the analogy I always use where, you know, you got two guys with two, you know, um, bank accounts. One guy has a hundred bucks in it, the other guy has a million bucks in it, right? They both take a buck out a day, you know. Whose bank account is going to close down first? That's my whole. That that's why I always say to people who say that to me, "Well, I'm just trying to be fit. I'm just trying to maintain fitness." I'm like, "Well, yeah, but eventually, like I say, that's going to run out, and you're going to be kind of bankrupting that, and you're just going to start declining because you've never taken the opportunity to try and research or evolve like you or like you say, Lonnie, to graduate to a different you know different level of fitness, right? I mean, if you get enter old age 
you know, having always for the last 40, 50 years prior be pushing for betterment in something, you know, your, your slip is going to be a lot more, uh, you know, not quite as steep. Well, to me, it's, it's like being jack of all trades and master of none. And some people want that, and that's, that's great. But, like we're saying, if, you know, the people who are truly elite, and, you know, like literally talking about maybe the top 20 in the world or whatever, however you want to define that, when you look at their physical, physical fitness from the classic textbook notion, it's actually quite poor. Uh, Because, you know, the, the strength that powerlifter is not going to have a high VO2 max, you know necessarily because well partly you're dividing by a huge body weight but you get the idea or uh, a triathlete or a marathon runner is not going to have a lot of muscle mass i mean you know so all of the classic components whether it's flexibility you know uh, aerobic uh, endurance uh, muscular endurance muscle strength body comp all these kinds of things people who specialize and truly become exceptional in something they have to sacrifice almost necessarily some of those other things. And these guys who just try to be fit across the board, um, I don't know, maybe they compete in CrossFit or something. I'm trying to think of something that you know they could weave some skill into that and continually progress rather than just spin their wheels. But to me, more often than not, a lot of guys like that just spin their wheels. Mm-hmm. Phil, what about you? What do you, what do you have here for uh, mis- you know mistakes? Uh, the one I'm that's probably going to hurt, and it, I, I guess it won't hurt Brian's feelings because he's. It seems to be at a high school where it actually has. It, it, this says he's the director of strength and conditioning, so that's what he does at this high school. Um, I would say a, a lot of the high school kids, what their problem is, is they listen to their coach. Um, it's a lot of these programs are ran by the, 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 say the football head coach or something like that. Who, you know, there's the old joke going around that. that uh, you know, high school coaches are the worst because they, they know the least, but they think they know the most. They have the biggest heads and the littlest brains as it comes to strength training. And I've seen some horrible things going on in, in these programs, and it's because they don't have a background in in actual strength and conditioning. I mean, they might be a great football coach, but that doesn't mean you can you know how to train somebody in the weight room. Um, exactly, yeah. And that can be a big problem. And I've seen people come in and try and help these programs. And, oh, I don't want any help. I know what I'm doing, you know, because the the guy knows what he's doing, sure, because he he picked up a barbell once when he was in high school. Yeah, uh, well, it's the whole idea, right, that, well, who's going to teach the kids the, you know, the, the persistence training? Oh, well, yeah. well, the football coach, right? Exactly. I mean, and, and like you say, that doesn't necessarily mean that he, he knows jack crap about freaking weight training. Exactly. Um, and and it, it, the other, on the other side, certainly we're not ripping on, uh, you know, because like I say, I mean, there's lots of guys out there, football coaches, who know a ton of what the hell they're talking exactly. about. Exactly. But it just but shouldn't be an automatic. It, it, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, that's a big mistake I see. Um, uh, another one that's a little more broad, I guess, is uh, kids tend to like to put the cart before the horse. Um, they, they don't want to learn. They want to work hard before they know how to work right. Um you wouldn't take somebody and throw them in like a NASCAR and throw them out on a track before they knew how to drive a car in the first place. You know, I'm not going to go and, and put a squat bar on your back and have you squat until you puke until you know how to squat right. Um, take the time. I, I don't think a lot of them take the time to, to just learn how to do the basic moves correctly um, and have somebody teach them that. Um, if they can't learn it themselves, that they're, you know, I mean, a lot of us learned ourselves, but we took the time to do it. And uh, I, I think that's a big mistake, just... You end up with a lot of people coming to somebody else that have reps and reps and reps of, of the wrong motor patterns to, to fix, which is hard to do. It's a lot easier to start off on the right foot and, and take the time to learn it right and, and not have to unlearn something bad later. So that yeah. kind of lends itself to kind of my uh, probably major component, you know, contribution to this particular discussion, and that is the whole thing that. Always try and keep things simple. I mean, even when you're advanced, try and keep it simple. And sometimes that becomes the challenge when you get more advanced because you have so much more information and education and, 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 and ways of doing things that it's sometimes it's hard to keep continuously to be distilling this advancing knowledge back down to simplicity. But certainly when people start, and I see this all the time, as I'm sure everybody has, the bit, like you're saying, the guy always wants to fill, um, you know, they always want to train hard. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But they also seem to always want, the, the guys with the most kind of ludicrous training <laughs> regimes, mm-hmm. 
more often than not, to me, so it tend to be the young guys. They want to yeah. overcomplicate everything because I think it makes them think that, oh, you know, now I'm, I'm now I'm serious about something, right? Look at this massively arranged program that I've, you know, that I've put together, you know, fifteen bicep exercises. Ex- exactly. The whole yeah. thing to me is like, like you're saying, and this is why I'm saying it goes kind of hand in hand with what you were saying, Phil. The whole idea that it's like keep it simple and try to master. Three or four fundamental things versus being crappy. You know, you have this great, like you say, you know, six day a week, three hour a day, grand thing where, like you are saying, all right, you're doing like eight different bicep movements and, and you're doing everything shoddily, you know, like everything's yeah. being done bad. It's like, pick, <laughs> like I said, pick, you know, four or five things and really work hard to, per, you know, perfect or, I mean, perfection is, is a, something you never quite achieve, but try to move towards being very masterful in those four or five things. Um, And that would be my big thing, because like I say, it's just, and you see the cycle cycle of this kind of um, ignorance continually, you know, it's like the the blind leads the blind, you know, because now the kid that's been there for six months doing everything wrong, you know, now he pulls in his buddy, because his buddy at, you know, in the cafeteria at high school is like, hey, I can see a vein on your biceps, I want to get that vein too. Oh yeah, sure. So then he, you know, then you see that kid come in. Now he's coaching the other kid. Yeah. You know, and then he's passing on all his bullshit. Excuse me, you know what I mean? It, it, and unfortunately, just, Rob, that that ends up on the on YouTube and the internet. Well, exactly. That's you why know these guys is. are like little pseudo experts, and they're well meaning. But you know what? Sometimes if you look at uh, fraud, like I think about the National Council Against Health Fraud, I was learning about as an undergrad, and sometimes. Um, charlatans or snake oil salesmen or whatever you you want to call it it's not always unfortunately about money it usually is but sometimes it's about belief and these kids believe that yeah. they've got a good beat on things yeah. you know so it's that's where the problem comes in they're actually well meaning but they're doing right. damage you know and it's also just like those saying like you know like schools automatically well who's you know who's going to take care of the uh, you know the universal weight room in the gym okay well the football coach naturally um, the same thing applies like in gyms. Like, I have a recent example where somebody was asking these two kids, and they were like, honestly, like 14 or 15 years old, these kids, um, and they were trying to squat. And they went to the gym owner, who I can tell you, I've never seen do a squat in his life. Um, and I'm, I can guarantee you, I don't think he ever has. And he's trying to teach them. And it's just like, it was just like I said, it was just like, it was just like, you know, ignorance teaching future ignorance. And, but I mean, it's it's not like I blame the kids, right? Because who are they going to look right? They're going to look at the adult who owns the gym, right? And so it's a natural assumption, just like it's a natural assumption the football coach will teach the weight training. Uh, and I understand that, but that's where it comes down to the responsibility of the person who's being asked to be honest and say, like you know, like if somebody comes to me and says, I you know, I want to, you know, have a nutrition program set up for my I'm a soccer player. You know, like you have to have some sort of responsibility to say, listen, I can give you very ba- a basic g- guideline, but, you know, I'm not going to really get into this too much because this is not my area of expertise and I feel very uncomfortable, you know, trying to pass off my limited knowledge about this, you know, as something that's more than Well, that. you know what, Rob? I think in that situation, we get, um, it reminds me of an old Einstein quote. What do you say? If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Yeah. Ooh, okay, and, nice. Yeah. yeah and, I've uh, heard that one. I think a lot of these guys, these uh, not just training gurus, they become amateur nutrition gurus, and they micromanage, you know, and they dwell on minutia. They think that some new herb or a couple hundred micrograms or this or this or that, you know, um, mineral will will make them huge or ripped or something like that, and uh, yeah. you know, they need to really come back full circle. I think maybe sometimes if people listen to us, they might be like, well, other than the some of the nutrition science blurbs that Lonnie reads, these guys are pretty straightforward. More calories and protein, you know. And but it's not really the theory; it's the application that's yeah. so challenging with this stuff. I mean, we have a pretty good idea how much protein people need. I mean, protein requirements might go up slightly, but when it comes right down to it, like we've said before, when you want to gain weight, you've got to try to eat as much as you can, uh, as often as you can, staying away from obvious stuff like. Tons of, I don't know, deep fried food and sugar, let's say. But there's not a lot of uh, minutiae that you need to think about here. Um, you know, so again, yeah, when you understand it fairly deeply, and I, I'd love to answer 
more specific or advanced questions if people have them. But, you know, yeah. well, it's These guys, they go the, off the deep yeah. end with, with, with that kind of micro. Well, the, the whole supplement industry... Sorry to interrupt there, Phil, for a minute. But no worries. The whole supplement industry, when you think about it, bodybuilding supplement industry, I mean, who buys the majority of, of the high-priced stuff that's, you know, where the labels have, you know, a thousand numbers and, you know, graphs on the side of it. and The people who buy that stuff are mostly the beginners. So they're bamboozling oh, yeah. these young guys. And they and know it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, exactly. And they're feeding into what I'm saying. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, my angle was coming from a training standpoint of the, the person actually in the gym, but from a nutritional standpoint, which is your domain, Lonnie. But I can certainly, you know, add into the fact that they're selling, and they know that they're selling predominantly to that market. And There's again, always a new a new batch, a fresh exactly. batch. Exactly. And I yeah. mean, the people yeah. like us. We know, like you say, like all these little, like the minutiae you're saying of all this, you know, the nutritional profile on this hot new supplement stuff. For the most part, for the most part, that's all just bunk and it means crap. But it bamboozles the young kids who want complication and want to think that they're really, you know, really pushing hard with the whole seriousness of the whole thing. It bamboozles them into parting with their money and, part, and you know, and it, and it really is disgusting in my, in my opinion. Yeah. But, yeah. I agree. I mean, that's the thing. I think, Lonnie, you hit it on the head with that quote. Um, you know, and just because we don't talk, you know, when we're talking training here, we're, we're not breaking into physics and this and that. Uh, it doesn't mean we can't, it, you know, yeah. because I can I can blabber on, like, with the best of them, but it's just not applicable to 90% of the population. Absolutely, yeah. They don't care about the, the lever arms and this and that, and it's not going to help them understand the movement any better. Um, at the level they're at. You know what, Phil? I you wish know. I had the quote in front of me, but I was talking to a prof the other day. We were looking at this. It was a research design book, actually, that I'm teaching out of, and it said something about using simple language as much as possible, even in <laughs> science. And it was something about uh, the, the quote was some uh, you know erudite, you know hoity-toity quote about uh, lever arms and fulcrum and rotational forces, yeah. and then it said or choke up on the bat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> Is this exactly. No, it's yeah, absolutely true. I mean, coming from a journalistic standpoint, that's my where my education is. My teacher, you know, my main teacher in college, he's always say, um, never use a, some, some complex word, you know, some very little used word when you can use a, a simple one in its place. Um, and that really is, you can see a, a lot of amateur. I mean, the guys who really try and impress who aren't professional writers, um, they're the guys when you go on these message boards and stuff who are throwing all these, you know, ten dollar words out and everything, and nobody has any idea what the hell they're talking about, and they think that oh well, this, you know, shows how much I know. And, and to most people who know, who do know, they look at that as almost like a red flag. Oh, this guy, you know, this guy is an idiot. He's you know, cutting and pasting Wikipedia freaking quotes, and you know what I mean? He's like, because yeah. it's it's really true. People who really know what they're talking about. It's it's easier to to again break it down to something that's easily consumed rather than just think you know blowing somebody's mind with all these big words and you know highfalutin freaking philosophies and stuff and the guy's just sitting there thinking oh wow and he walks away and he's just you know like he's just got a cloud over his head he has no idea what the hell just happened I mean what does that serve to anybody? Right. Well, I'll tell you to sort of follow up on this and rope it back into you know beginner mistakes. Uh, one of the things that I would I would suggest, and we should talk a little bit about different exercise techniques a little too, in case that's what Brian meant. But um, from a psychological kind of standpoint, or a you know motivational standpoint, or whatever, I would suggest beginners don't believe the hype. You know, so you're going to hear people professing to be experts. I read something in a top muscle magazine the other day by a long term. Uh, uh, journalist, bodybuilding journalist, we'll call him, and he was referring to himself as a researcher, which makes me cringe. When you dig around online, that doesn't make you a researcher. When you collect data, <laughs> you're a frickin' researcher, okay? But not only that, but he was saying some very wrong stuff. He might have read one article not realizing that you know a consensus of many studies is what drives practice. But anyway, um, don't believe the hype, especially when it comes to uh, like I said, it might even be something you trust. Like this muscle magazine I looked at was a, you know, a very high level one. Or, you know, not high level, but, um, big distribution numbers. Um, but if somebody's telling you you're gonna get two inches on your guns in six weeks, uh, and I still see a lot of that. Rob, I know how you and I, and I know Phil must too, loathe writing articles of an editor says, can you write me something about how to get bigger guns in six weeks? 
<laughs> we just don't want to do it, or we just flat out won't do it. Say keep your keep your thousand bucks. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. do that. Um, so don't believe the hype. That's something else I, w- I would suggest that beginners should do, especially with the internet, because like we've said a hundred times on this show, good and bad. And that's some of the bad magazines and internet. You, you know, you, people will start believing that they can make monster gains in muscle mass or strength if they follow some uh, very advanced or complicated program. And uh, nope, it's probably not going to happen. Not to burst your bubble, but don't believe the hype. Instead, you have, that's where textbooks I think do become handy because they give you realistic time frames. You know, for gains. When you look at how many calories and protein and things like that, it comes. You know, has to come into the body, and if you do the math, you start to realize that, you know, it's it, these these um, claims are not possible. Yeah. So right, yeah, and most um, of it's most of that kind of crap anyway is built on the, the whole idea that some fool kid is going to you know believe that his pump is is the growth that they're they're speaking about. Yeah, you know, or, or, yeah, or training issues. You know, it, it, like the whole idea. You know, that the classic one, right? You know, gain two inches, like you say, and. You know, gain, I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've seen these articles that we all have, right? The whole, and they, an they're on, still out gain, there. They still keep coming. You know? Yeah, gain an inch on your arms in seventy-two hours. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. And they have the guy go in and do him, you know, three, three sets to failure of biceps four times a day for three days. Well, at that point, you have such a pump and probably inflammation. Exactly. They, yeah. You probably got your inch, <laughs> but it's not muscle that you've gained, you know. Right. And and it's just it's just sad that they they can constantly try and pump this crap out and. Like you say, people fall for it. So yeah, you're you know don't believe the hype. If it sounds um, too good to be true, then I mean this is cliche as hell, but it really more than likely is. Well, that's where a textbook or a coach can give you the straight dope about you know what's a realistic progression, you know, whether it's week to week or over time. You know, what should you expect at the end of your first you know mesocycle or something like that. there are physiological realities, you know, and Phil mentioned physics and things like that too. You're, you're only going to, you can't, you know, defy the laws of physics. So, yeah, don't, um, don't believe it. I thought of another good one that I think, um, for both coaches and just kids starting out on their own is, uh, you know, realize that today we're living in a very posterior chain dominant world. Everything we do is right in front of us. Um, from the jobs we have to sitting on the computer to people pecking on their little smartphones to we're always kind of internally rotated up front and uh, even the way we walk and go upstairs and everything else. Um, yeah, anterior pelvic tilt and all. That. Yeah, it's uh, as a coach uh, of high school kids and or even a kid starting off himself. I'd, I'd have urge people to shoot for a two to one. Um, work from anterior to posterior, twice the posterior chain work from from head to toe um, than I would uh, posture. Or Can you anterior. give some examples, Phil? Rows and, you know, deadlifts and, you know, chins and compared to, you see it all the time. Everybody goes in and they bench four times a week, you know, but they, you never see them pick up a dumbbell and, and pull it back to them. Uh, you, you see the yeah. gorilla posture, internally rotated hands, you know, you got all all eight knuckles showing on the front of your hands, you know, when you're walking down the street. It's not a good thing. Um, right, yeah. And you're, you're, yeah, you've got old man syndrome and you're, you're 20 years old. You're, you're, uh, your hips are tilted forward and your butt's underneath you. Um, muscular imbalances. And, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, I've never, ever, ever to this day, I've heard tons of people have, have posture problems and, and pain from being too uh, anterior dominant. You know, they're they're internally rotated up front. Stuff's pulling. I've never heard somebody that, God, I hurt my back's too strong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 Just don't hear it. I don't think it's possible. You know that they're that they've they've worked their upper back so much that they're they're like pulled way back. You know. Well, that's it's a just, good that's a segue, <laughs> Phil, because my I had one uh, technique uh, issue. Just in case that's what he was um, curious about. You know, what kind of literal technique mistakes people make? I think beginners. When they try to engage their lats, uh, they use their arms. You know, they're very the bicep kind of. You can watch them, like when they do, even like seated cable rows. I know this is more like bodybuilding style movements, not powerlifting. Uh, but one thing I would suggest is give it some time. Think of your hands as hooks, you know, that are simply connecting your lats to the weight. You've got to really purposely try to put your mind and the muscle in your lat. And one thing that will help is 
hopefully over the first year or two, you build up you build up enough mass, enough meat in your lats. Then you can feel them a little bit. Yeah, better. exactly. That's you what know. I was going to say. Yeah, it's really hard to feel something that if you could see somebody's uh, kid's ribs from the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> You know, exactly. he doesn't have a lot of lat meat, and it's going to be hard to engage it. Even though it's the biggest muscle in the upper body, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. um, Yeah, I see a lot of, a lot of these guys... Uh, and not just kids, you know, um, even, you know, grown men, of course, who are, who are new at this, they're, they're rowing with their arms. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, that's at least a technique thing. That's something that jumped to my mind. Well, I don't know really anybody who hasn't improved his back, um, by lightening the weight. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. nine times out of ten, it's always like, I mean, the classic story with Rich Gasparri, right? The longtime retired IFBB professional bodybuilder. He, says that, you know, he was just a you know dumpy little kid and he was training at, um, you know, uh, gold, you know, that world gym um, where Joe Gold was. Um, and, and he came up to him, Joe Gold came up to him and said, you know, what, what can I do to improve my back? And Joe Gold says, well, half all your weight's on your back training. And he was, you know, of course, he had to, you know, get some convincing for it. And he said, you know, six months later when he actually did it, all of a sudden he had a back, yeah. you know, and, and it, mm-hmm. it really is true. I mean... How many guys you see that really want to freaking like you know bend over row that two seventy five you know like heaving and you know ducking under the weight and everything like that? You know what? Put one eighty five on, pull it well, yeah. you yeah. know, and, and you'll see you'll actually start having a back and you know and less of a biceps pump because that's really that's, what you see. One I mean, of you guys just half an hour ago said something about you learn how to squat before you tell somebody to squat till they puke. It's a similar kind of thing, yeah. you know. Yep. <clears throat> no, and I think that's a good good uh, line there that you're bringing up, Rob. I think I think a lot of people do go too heavy. They let their they get ahead of themselves on back work, and they want to put three plates on the freaking bar and do a a weird clean deadlift row, you know, instead of actually learning how to use their back. Um, and I really like doing more reps for upper back work. You know, even if I'm working heavy singles on bench, I maybe do sets of ten for back, um, yeah. and just build some hypertrophy back there and some strength. Um, well, it's the thing also that it's like, you know, well, people say, well, there's a difference between bodybuilding and, you know, uh, and weightlifting, powerlifting, yeah. right? Because, and of course, yeah, there is. One, you're using the weight as a implement to kind of, you know, stress the muscle and build the muscle. Where the other one, you're mostly concerned with just, yeah, ex- get, getting the bar moved from point A to point B. However, yeah. you really have to understand, in my estimation, both points and both, and, and, and what both feel like. To kind of really master the other. I don't know if that makes any sense. But you know what I mean? Like, Phil's a power lifter, and he doesn't have a, really a lot of history in bodybuilding, but he knows how to do bodybuilding training, I'm sure, quite well. You know, he knows the whole mind-muscle connection, too. Then you get another guy, like Lonnie, who's mostly bodybuilding, but I'm sure he understands the whole concept of, you know, having to kind of, like, um, look beyond that at a certain point for certain things because of your history doing a lot of heavy squatting and stuff. Well, as an so, example, like, I don't think about my quadriceps when I squat. <laughs> right. right. You know, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm looking up. It, it, to me, that's always been just so different. I think that's what's kept me pure, uh, you know, or at least kept me with one, like a half a toe at least in, in powerlifting is, is the squat has always been a, a performance movement for me. Whereas if I was doing bench pressing or I, in fact, I would prefer dumbbell presses and I would stretch my pecs further and all that kind of stuff. But then it was about the pec. You know, or when I train lats, it was about my lats or my traps, you know, my back. But yeah, the squat's always been about moving the weight up and down. So. Yeah, well, you know, Tom Platts, of course, the you know legendary retired bodybuilder. He always said that, you know, to him, squatting was was a sport unto itself. You know, like he came in and he trained. You can use this with anything. And I always, I always tell people every 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 exercise needs to be kind of its own. Emotion. I was talking about this several weeks ago on the show, to be honest with you. But the whole idea, where yeah, you have to look at everything as its own, you know, own experience. You know, and you have to break it off like that. It can't just be a succession of freaking exercises that you're going one to another without any sort of passion for the actual the performance of it. Whether you're coming from a, a bodybuilding type background, uh, like vantage point, or a more kind of pure strength vantage point, you have to look at it as a, as a specific performance that. You know, that means something. I mean, just to have a two-hour workout and you have to go through 12 exercises and you don't... You know what I mean? There's, there's really no kind of, like, uh, dedication to the craft of each individual. And that's why I was saying earlier, much earlier in the show, the whole idea for me is young people need to simplify 
focus on maybe several things only and, and really dedicate themselves to the craft of those individual parts. And if you have a hundred parts, you know, it's, it's, it's spreading yourself too thin because nobody can be passionate about a thousand exercises, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Fo- focus on the good stuff and become good at those things and, and work the craft. I, I think what one of the things that you're bringing up is it's almost a martial arts kind of, um, value system where you get the techniques down. That's where the training begins in a way, you know, so your first couple of, you know, years, maybe you're, well, definitely there's going to be a lot of improvement in the first year, but, uh, you nail the technique. Then like what you're talking about, Rob, like each, uh, movement day is a, a different emotion. Uh, I totally understand that because once you get the technique down, that's where your training begins and you can start to explore all these other things. Like when I squat, squat day is, I've talked about this before, but you know, I put on my headphones and I'll listen to certain tunes, and I—it's like a, a a travel down a road to another place. You know what I mean? Like it, it, this mystical place. I don't know. It sounds cheesy, but and I don't have that same um, idea. Like because I'm new to the deadlift, I'm not sure where that's going to take me. You know what I mean? Where that emotion's going to be? But I'm, I'm assuming Phil probably has. Uh, a fairly developed sense of what a uh, deadlift day feels like, you know. Right, right. Uh, but you've got to have technique in place before you can start to, you know. Yeah, and when you're that young, and again, bring again, try to bring this back to you know specifics, the topic of the day. Again, if you're only training as you should be, you know, three or four times a week, which is what Lonnie, you know, you suggested at the beginning of this, which I totally agree with. You know, if you're doing that and you're only in the gym for 45 minutes, you know, an hour and 15 minutes, whatever, which is, again, probably what you should be doing, and you're only focusing on that day on maybe two or three specific, you know, fundamental exercises, again, that allows you, because we only have enough, you know, we're always talking about, you know, our our finite ability to have, you know, physical energy. Well, you know, your, your cerebral energy, too. I mean, I don't know what the stat, you know, what the... Statistics are, but we, I mean, I've read about them over the years, the whole idea that, you know, the average person can only focus 100% on something for you know, X amount of minutes or something like that. Well, I mean, you know, and that's the whole idea, right? I mean, I was in the gym for my, you know, like I told you, I went up to 660 in the squat yesterday. I was in the gym for like two hours. And when I factor in, I factored out how much weight I lifted yesterday and how much approximate time it probably took to lift all that in total, totality. I was probably only really under the bar for I don't know, probably less than 40 seconds. You know, and so it's one of those things where it's like, but you need all that time around it to kind of like, you know, dial yourself into those seconds where you're, you know, your, your focus, you know, like how long does it take to do two reps? Not very long, but the mental, you know, that, the the laser like mental intensity, you know, over the amount of time it takes to do two reps at that level. It's huge, right? But I mean, you can't like 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 Lonnie's saying about traveling a road to somewhere. You can't be there for long. Tom Platts, I, I, I use his name again. He used to talk a lot about this. He used to always say, you know, you go to a place, and he says, and sometimes I'd go so far, I'd be worried that I would never come back. And of course, that was half in jest, but in a lot of ways, it wasn't, right? You, sometimes you, you get so advanced. That you can take yourself to such a place that you you, you get dangerously close well, to, one, to <laughs> watch that you... guy lift, right? I mean, you saw some of the p- partials that he would do, like bouncing at the bottom of uh, like um, um, flies or or chins. You know, well, yeah. this guy is he has gone inside. <laughs> You know, yeah, because he's, whole he's idea, twitching but... and bouncing, and he's all about the muscle. You know? Yeah, but you can't. And when you're when you're we, we talk about this, but beginners got to accept the fact that you're not going to be able to achieve the you know you're not going to be able to go to that fun palace yeah. for quite some time. Yeah. You know, like to use the analogy Lonnie is using about you know traveling up <coughs> to some place. I mean, that road's a long one, and to get to that, you got to earn your stripes. You know, and, and the way to do that again is focus on things that you know a dozen things not 20 20 dozen things work the craft of those few things and you know and then and and through that like you say once you learn the craft then your journey begins and then you can actually start like Lohani says then you can get on the bus and start going down that road and maybe in a decade's time you'll get to that place <laughs> we're talking about right you know, but because you at no time strike. during that workout at least in the squat am i Am I thinking about technique really at all? Well, no. no yeah, you got to wrap things up. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, so I, we hope uh, we hope we somewhat broached the uh, topic that you uh, suggested to us there, uh, yeah, Brian. Brian. I think it is so. Cool. Yeah. Here's another good one. 
Yeah, good stuff, right, guys. Yeah. I'll get that discount posted up on the Facebook, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. All right, later. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, Everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types, practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the -the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount. However, obviously I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place. That's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.